Welcome to Terrible, the podcast where two friends discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare themselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. I'm Renee, a longtime true crime enthusiast. Marie, on the other hand, has recently delved into all that is true crime. We both believe that once you watch or listen to your first true crime case, there's no going back. So let's do this. Just before we get started, we wanted to mention that we do have a merch store. There's lots of great stuff, so if you guys want to check it out and support the show, go on Etsy and look us up at Terrible True Crime. If you follow us on social media, you've seen the amazing art we posted by Tanya Scandalis. She's an amazing Canadian artist and does the custom digital art. So please go check out her Etsy shop. It's at Tanya Studio Co. She has some art for sale and you can also message her for any custom pieces. And for 10% off, use code TERRIBLE10. Last thing is that it really helps when you rate the show and leave a review or a comment wherever you listen. All right, let's get into some updates. So I feel like not much has been going on lately, but we did go to a local brewery and they allow dogs to come in. So it's really fun. They okay. just do beer, no food. So we brought Ollie and he was really excited. There was a bunch of other dogs there and he, he just did so well. And then like when he was tired, he took a nap under the table. So he's just like the best four month old puppy we could wow. really ask for. That's the best when you could like feel comfortable t- having him tag along anywhere you go and on the patio and he's comfortable you don't have to worry about him that's really awesome yeah definitely we're trying to like train him to be able to do that you know Mm -hmm. like be like surrounded by a lot of distractions and still be good but yeah so he did really good so it was fun and then we got to hang out with some friends and still you know entertain the puppy so that's good and then in other news the weather is getting a lot nicer here and i think for you guys too but we just set up our patio yes it looks so good it's cozy vibes. It's so cute. Yes. And okay, for us people starting out their lives, patio furniture is so expensive. Like, ridiculously expensive. Like, I'm like, is this a whole furniture set for my living room? Like, it's crazy. So we really tried to, like, hunt down and track down deals. Anyway, we think we did pretty well because we kind of had a budget. We thought it was ridiculous to spend, like... It is ridiculous to spend that much, though. Where did, where did you end up buying it? So the chairs are from Home Depot. I think they okay. have really good patio stuff. And then there was no table that went with it. But we liked the chairs so much and they were at such a good price that we're like, we're just going to, like, hope to find a matching table. And then we went to HomeSense and we basically found like an exact matching table for the set. Uh-huh. Sweet. So it just, it was faith. It was, you know, meant to yeah. be, but so we're super happy. And then we, so we set this all up. We barbecue on Saturday night. We're having a good night. I wake up Sunday morning, snow <laughs> covering our new patio set. I was so that's, disappointed. That's what's like weird about this time of year. It's like, you never know what you're going to get. It'll be like a nice spring day. And then the next day it's a blizzard outside and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, and you get like on such a high from the Mm -hmm. sun and the warm weather, and then the low after that is so low, like emotionally. Exactly. Yeah. But it melted off really quick, and I hopefully for us that's our last kind of little bit of snowfall. But yeah, I know for you guys it hasn't been quite as sunny and warm as us in Alberta. 
No, it's been, it's been like a, a bit sunny, but not, not super warm, but it's, we've had some like really muddy days. So as I was saying in one of our previous episodes, I have a backyard that gets really, really muddy. If there's any sorts of a rain on the grass and Tucker just comes in and absolutely just demolishes the hardwood. <laughs> so I went on Amazon and I bought one of those paw cups where you just stick the paw and you like, yes. Yeah. So I ended up buying one. I just got it today. I tried it on Tucker just for fun. Cause he's like scared of that kind of stuff. Right. I don't know why he's just like an old, cute, Golden. grumpy boy, <laughs> but, and he was like, what the heck is this? But it's like ginormous. It's like a large, it's like this big. Like Zoe could fit into oh, it. Yeah. I could fit her whole body in there. She's full of mud. I could just, you know, put her whole thing in there. The other thing I got recently dog related, which if you have a golden retriever, any dog that sheds, you absolutely need. I don't know what it's called, but it's one of those things that you roll on the carpets. Like a reusable lint roller. Yeah, like a reusable okay. lint roller. Holy yeah. shit. I was kind of disgusted <laughs> as at like how much hair actually came up into that after vacuuming. So if because you don't have the one vacuum, of those. Yeah, it doesn't grab everything. No, like it was disgusting. I, yeah, I did Tucker's bed and I was like, I think I filled it three times. My other update is that I watched most of Inventing Anna. Because mm-hmm. I saw her go on Call Her she Daddy did? podcast. Yeah, she went on Call Her Daddy. I oh, haven't I listened to that. it yet. I want to watch a Netflix episode or Netflix series first to kind of like understand what the whole inventing Anna was. It's pretty interesting. And I find it kind of hard to like understand exactly what she's doing and like how she's doing it. But I have one episode left, so I'll have to watch that. But I really want to watch the Call Her Daddy episode where the actual Anna is uh, interviewed from prison. Oh my god. So I've seen a bunch of stuff, but I haven't heard or read about the story or anything. So I feel like I'm gonna like blind watch kind of like what you did too mm-hmm. this week. Maybe next yeah. week we can talk about how we felt about it. Yeah, because yeah. apparently she went on the podcast and like said she was gonna answer a bunch of questions and she like barely said anything. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. I wonder if her lawyer was like, nah, girl. <laughs> Don't <Yeah>. do it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a strange one for sure. There's another, um, another true crime series like that it's called the thing about pam and it's based on a true crime case an american true crime case but it's like one of those like sort of like dirty john or or kind of like inventing anna it's like a you know not like a reenactment but it's a based on right and i just watched the first episode and i had heard the case like on several different podcasts and renee zellweger like is like fully transformed like she looks totally different than what she usually looks like i think she's wearing like a bit of a fat suit she has like extra wrinkles and stuff and like her character is like nothing like what she looks like or like how she presents in person Mm -hmm. anyway the first episode was really good uh so i'm gonna keep watching that too so if you guys haven't heard of that or haven't heard of the case google the case and then watch the series (laughs) because it's coming out like weekly so it's not all out yet but I have a feeling it's going to be really good. Okay, yeah, I'll have to check that out too. I'm more of a binge watch kind of girl, so I feel like I'm going to get really mad if I start watching it and liking it, and then I have to wait. So, but I love those kinds of series. Yeah, me too. And so many more start like are being made and are coming out now. It's amazing. So the other thing I was thinking that we could potentially do in the future for the podcast is every week there's obviously new news articles and stuff about like current crimes and stuff that are kind of like developing, which I always kind of want to mention in updates, but I feel like there's never like like a conclusion to anything because it's always like reporting on if someone's been like arrested or if a crime's been committed or mm-hmm. whatever. So it's not like a full like case like we usually give you guys. But I thought 
like as a bonus episode maybe like in the future when we get more you know when we keep growing get more listeners that we could potentially do like a, a monthly bonus episode where we just talk about like current true crime news even though it's not going to be like a complete story but whatever information we can get mm-hmm. um, at the end of each month or something would be really fun so if you guys are into that let us know like everyone reads different outlets and whatever but if people see stuff and they want to share with us on social media I mean if we get enough interest we can definitely sacrifice the time so it would definitely be something fun and extra to do it just wouldn't be you know tied up in a bow like well not that all our cases are but <laughs> there wouldn't be like a beginning middle end like we try to do here <laughs> The sources for this week's case are a Wikipedia article, a CTV News article, an Ottawa Sun article by Shamini Yogaritnam, an Ottawa Sun article by Joanne E. Locius. There's also a CBC News article and an Ottawa Citizen article by Gary Dimock and Greg MacArthur. I also watched an episode of a TV show. The TV show is called Murder, She Wrote. And it was about the case. I don't know the TV show. I had to find it in this like obscure YouTube link where like the image was a bit distorted and the voices were changed because I'm guessing the person didn't want to get caught for I don't know what. Anyway, it was actually good and like very informative. I just don't think you can like legally purchase the episode anywhere because I looked. I tried to legally purchase it, but I couldn't. So uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that as well. Our case starts early August of 2003. We're discussing Ardith Wood. Ardith is a 20 27-year-old graduate student who is studying to get her PhD in philosophy at the University of Waterloo. At this time, Ardeth was on leave from her studies and decided to go visit her family, who lived in the Orleans neighborhood of Ottawa, Ontario. Now, I know we covered a lot of cases from Ottawa, specifically because I get a lot of case requests because a lot of our friends and family are from there. Um, And this specific case was recommended to me by both my parents when, I think it was around Christmas time last year, uh, we were kind of just getting started in this podcast and they said like you have to cover this case so I've been I've been saving it up so that being said if anyone else has any case recommendations or requests please uh, send us a message because we're happy to cover those. Ardith is described by one of her friends and classmates as follows. She was tall, she had long blonde hair, she was very beautiful. The friend said that she had very interesting style. She was warm, kind, and very considerate. This friend that I mentioned talks in the Murder She Wrote episode. Ardith had two younger brothers. She played the piano and wanted to become a professor. She also wanted to have a family. And at the time, she was dating a man who was also studying philosophy at Waterloo. Her family was very proud of how smart and determined she was. Philosophy just seems like the hardest thing to study. Like, I'm impressed. (laughs) On August 6th, while at home visiting her family, she decides to go for a bike ride along a path beside Rockcliffe Parkway in Greens Creek area. She bores her brother's black bike and leaves the house wearing sweats and a red helmet. When more than 90 minutes goes by, her family starts to worry. In the early evening, they head out to look for her. They're looking, they can't find her. The paths she was biking on cover a long stretch of Ottawa, and I mean, there's so much ground to cover, and by nightfall, they still haven't found her, so they call the police and report her missing. The next morning, the family calls all of their friends and neighbors, and they all head out to search the paths. It's really hard to know what direction Ardith would have gone in. As you know, everyone is getting together and the news of Ardith's disappearance is spreading around town, the media gets a hold of the story and it's broadcasted around the city. Many community members and volunteers get together to join the search. 
The search would later involve police officers, Canadian Armed Forces, search and rescue members, and over a thousand volunteers. We're not going to talk about this often, where basically an entire city gets together and all of these kind of emergency response members get together to respond to a missing person like this. There's even helicopters equipped with thermal imaging that scan the bike paths and surrounding areas. As I said, the news had started to spread and the police set up a tip line. They get a call from a woman who had a strange interaction with a man on those same bike paths the day that Ardeth went missing. She had been stopped by a man heading into the Orleans neighborhood. She described him as young, not wearing a shirt, light hair, a muscular build, and as kind of creepy. He was trying to lure her to a wooded area, but this woman fleed into a kind of local neighborhood off one of the paths. He even followed her for a bit, which is really Ugh. terrifying. Like, there's a lot of woods. It's not just, like, bike paths, like, where you can, like, kind of see far and wide. Like, it's a big wooded area. A lot like, of trail places. almost. Yes, Ugh. exactly. That's creepy. I've never biked these paths or really walked them have you i think your, your parents bike a bit don't they i don't know if they've ever yeah and my my dad actually you told me to ask them about this case so i did um, my dad's a runner so he goes out for long runs and stuff and he said he would he would run that area and and think about her and look for her oh my god okay mm -hmm. so this is we're gonna get into this later but i asked maddie to ask her parents because when my parents told me about this case. They said that it had such an impact in the entire city of Ottawa, which is like a very large city. So I really wanted to know if Maggie's parents kind of remembered or if this name had stuck in their head at all. And obviously it had. So that just kind of echoes what my parents were saying as well. Yeah. So the woman who had had this strange encounter works with the police to get a composite sketch. The police show this sketch to the family and friends, but they don't recognize him. <laughs> oh my God. I feel like I know exactly what kind of like like man this is okay this is so funny because i also like after i had already written my notes i often look to see if any other podcasts have covered this case and obviously there's again another dark putin episode because they're a you know a large canadian podcast about this case so and they were just like saying the same thing like the hosts were just like it's just like you know this like guy in these like douchey sunglasses it's just like the typical guy riding his bike with like those sporty like sunglasses that are like tight to your face and like yeah like that weren't the even in style back then but no. they're like really not in style now <laughs> no okay so interviewed in the murder she wrote episode there is a police sergeant called jenny edge and she talks about how difficult it is when it's a stranger abduction or it's something done by a perpetrator that you know you don't have necessarily a connection to because there's no link and there's no starting point Police decide to hold off on sharing the sketch because they're unsure if this man is actually connected. So I think here it's basically like when you release a picture like that, everyone immediately is like, that's my neighbor, that's my husband, that's my, you know. And you, and you can't take it back. So you yes. have to be sure once you share something that you're yeah. actually more positive than not. Yes, because people will like tunnel vision on this mm -hmm. picture and then say there's like other women on these bike paths they're like oh i this weird this man's weird but he doesn't look like the sketch right so there's a variety of different reasons why you wouldn't share something like this right off the bat and this is in like the very early days like at this point ardith is just missing right after this the police get another call this time it's from a 16 year old girl she says that she saw ardith that day talking with a man she heard a scream and this caught her attention she then saw ardith talking with this man who seemed agitated she thought they were dating and
and maybe in a fight. You know that thing where you're like, well, I don't know if I want to get involved. This seems mm-hmm. kind of like awkward. Like they seem like they might know each other. They're probably just like probably just in a relationship and maybe they're fighting or whatever. And she's also 16. Yeah, like you can't expect her to know what to do at that point. No, it's like pretty incredible that she like remembered this and then called in. But yeah, I feel I hope that she doesn't hold on to any guilt or anything like that. Because I mean, she really did more than she even more than I would have at 16, probably more than I would have now. Like who I'd like to think not but who knows what you do in these types of situations, right? You don't necessarily always think the worst. And she actually follows them for a bit. She she's not sure and she follows them. Which I think Aww. is just incredible to start off with. Wow. But I, I think at some point she loses them and, you know, kind of keeps going about her bike ride. And eventually she comes across both of their bikes on the ground. Now, I think she's assuming these are their bikes, but to me, a bike is a bike. Like, I'm sure I'm offending loads of bikers out there, but to me, two wheels, handlebars, that's a bike, Okay. <laughs> So she's probably not sure if this is really theirs and if she really should get involved, but she actually thinks about calling 911, but decides not to. As she's leaving, she hears one last scream, but decides to continue on her way because the weather was getting worse. And this is so not fair because if, like, if you grew up in any neighborhood with kids or any like kind of outdoor playground or anything, people are screaming and yelling and laughing all the time. Like it could sound like someone is screaming like for their mm-hmm. life, but they're just, oh, this is a really hard one. I don't know. I feel really bad for the 16 year old. Yeah. Cause I'm sure she's been replaying that scenario in her head like so many times after, you know, what whatever comes next and thinking she probably could have done something else but really like you said she did everything she really could have especially at 16. If we can take anything from this is obviously she did absolutely nothing wrong but I think it's important to trust our guts and when we think something is wrong like maybe it's better to overreact in some situations than to underreact but yeah and that's I think that's coming from someone who listens to a lot of true crime and sometimes overanalyzes everything like I had a man passed me the other day when I was walking my dog and I just did like a full top to bottom like how would I describe him if I had to (laughs) I just thought like this isn't healthy either because I don't need to notice every single thing and not everyone is out to get me so there's a balance there's a balance there for sure the police then show the 16 year old girl the sketch that had been done by the previous caller and she identifies the man that she saw as the man in the sketch so they're making connections at this point which is pretty incredible considering how busy those bike paths are. The thing that stood out to me in this case is not only do I feel like the city got involved in trying to solve it, but I also feel like it's a lot of strong women that like went out of their way to contact law enforcement or be part of the investigation and step forward and give such valuable information. And I think ultimately like this case would never have been solved without it. So all while I'm describing this, all these searches are going on, right? All these search and rescue members, Canadian Forces, police, volunteers, helicopters, etc. Everyone is searching for Ardith. And on Sunday, August 10th, Ardith's bike is found in Greens Creek. So they were actually looking through the creek in the water. I'm sure hoping for the best, but maybe expecting the worst. And what they do find is Ardith's bike. This is obviously not a good sign. You know, it seems like someone went out of their way to put the bike in water or, you know, this doesn't seem likely. Maybe she drove the bike into the water, but then where where is she, right? Unfortunately, on August 11th, the next day, Artist's body was found. It was not very far from where they had previously found her bike, but it was not submerged in water. I saw it kind of described as, as half buried. Now, I'm not sure how accurate that is because I only saw that in one article, so I don't know, but either way, must have been so horrible speechless 
Yeah. I just hate these whole like missing persons gone wrong. It just, it just leaves you unsettled because she was going out for a bike ride, you know, like she was literally just going out for a bike ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, obviously no one ever deserves any of Of this. Of course not. But I've put myself in much more vulnerable situations than this. And I consider myself a pretty cautious person. But she, like you said, she was literally going for a Mm. bike ride, just enjoying her day, visiting her parents. She did nothing wrong. All she probably did was just be nice to a stranger, which it sucks that people take advantage of that. This next quote kind of resonates to to what your dad said. It's from a CTV article and a cyclist gets interviewed in it and her name is Aldith Holmesa and this is what she says. The first time I cycled to work afterwards, I felt quite frightened coming through this area. You realize being a single woman by yourself, it's really uncomfortable. Later, artist's cause of death will be determined to be drowning. Interesting. Because she wasn't even found in water, right? Near the water, but not in water. Yeah, right. exactly. Now, because Ardith was left outside for several days, there was no DNA or fingerprints at the scene. Right? The bike was fully submerged, so there goes all that evidence. And uh, like that one biker said, the 16-year-old, she was heading home because the weather was kind of turning, and I think they might have had some, you know, some sort of storm that night. Once the police decided to release the sketch... Thousands of tips came in. I don't know how the police filter through all of this because, you know, obviously there's like one or two nuggets in there that are gold, but the rest is probably just, like I said, people accusing each other, saying they saw this man at the grocery store on the sidewalk in this neighborhood in that place. Like, And imagine like being one of those people. I don't know how they would obviously approach this, but (laughs) like like, your sister-in-law called and said it was you. Yeah, literally. Like... Imagine being accused of doing this and you're really just like a random person living in Ottawa just because you look like this man, you know? And like, I mean, it has some distinct features, the sketch, but like... He's wearing sunglasses too. Yeah, like throw a pair of sunglasses like that on any like (laughs) tall, lean man with short, sandy blonde hair around that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got a match. (laughs) Yeah, you've got a match. (laughs) Among these tips, police get a call from a phone booth in Gatineau. The caller says that it was an accident and he didn't mean to kill her. He then says, I took her across the river and buried her in Gatineau. Officers go to the phone booth, but they find no one. No fingerprints or DNA or anything that could identify the caller. Who the heck calls from a phone booth? Unless you have something to hide, I feel like you're not calling from a phone booth. Yeah, like why call from a phone booth admitting that you did it why not just like walk yourself into a police station or call from a house landline or yeah but i think because i don't think it's ever really confirmed later i think this is a prank call but Mm. i don't i don't know if we actually know for a fact if it was or not if it was that is awful people do that People really? insert themselves and well, some people fully admit to crimes they haven't done. Like, I mean, some do it under like forcible questioning. That's not what I mean. Like some people like to insert themselves into investigations. It's strange and the prank thing, like disgusting, but that happens. That's so weird to me. Like I said, at this point, they've released the sketch. And because of this, another woman calls and says that she believes that this man is from Plantagenet. This is a neighborhood not too far from Ottawa. It's unclear if that's where she actually saw him or why she had reason to believe that he was actually from there, but that's what she says. It's also reported that the suspect had at least one tattoo. It kind of resembled a a bird with wings. 
I'm gonna say this resembles a Thunderbird. Obviously, we'll put pictures of all this stuff on our social media and in our YouTube, but it was on his upper left arm slash shoulder area. The composite drawing would generate over 3,000 tips and 600 persons of interest. I'm sorry, that's not that cute of a tattoo. Like, uh, why are that many people having this tattoo? Right. Yes. Good question. <laughs> so 600 people, and you have to remember that there's probably some people on this list that don't have that tattoo because they're thinking like, it's not necessarily that the person they saw with the tattoo is the perpetrator. But what I think is it's a combo of tips and probably cross-referencing with like history of crimes or assault or any kind of violent history at all. And those people kind of make up the list. There has to be more than one factor, I would think. Yeah, because that's a lot of people. A lot of people. The uh, police sergeant that I mentioned earlier, Jenny Edge, she is just, I mean, she's an all-star in this case, and I love that she's also a woman, but she says that uh, sometimes at night she would just flip open her binder of all these names and just read through them and read through them and read through them and hope that something would pop up at her. It must be so hard on these people. Yeah. Like, yeah, like they don't look necessarily haunted like there's some like these police shows you watch and you're like oof like this person is not okay because of the work that they did but they just look so passionate and still so devoted to the search and to the case and it's it's a really good episode i wish it was available in a good quality somewhere so that everyone could go watch it but it, it was really well made this next quote is from the Ottawa Citizen article mentioned above by Gary Dimock and Greg MacArthur. In total, the man with the sandy blonde hair and the lean athletic build was spotted 24 times on the Rockcliffe Parkway that summer. He didn't stick to one side of the isolated Murky Creek, which cuts through the bike path connecting Orleans with the Beacon Hill area. He covered a 14 kilometer area on his bike, according to witness sightings. Eight months after, in April of 2004, a man from Gatineau is police's number one suspect. He had been called in by two different callers reporting him early on in the investigation. So whether that's because he had tendencies that they thought that meant that he could do something like this or just because he looked like the sketch. His name was most likely on that person's of interest list I mentioned previously. He was reportedly spotted across from the crime scene and when he was interviewed at first, police felt something was off. When they bring him in for the interview, they realize that he looks a lot like the sketch. He has the same build, the same hair, and he also had the same tattoo that was reported by witnesses. Mm -mm -mm. Not looking good. They then find out that he went to high school in Plantagenet. Shout out to that lady who called. Right? That's what I'm saying. The investigators have solved this case but with the help of these boss women who called in being like, this creep talked to me and I knew something was off and now I'm calling and I'm telling you because I remember the facts. Yeah. Investigators say in the Murder, She Wrote episode that he had weird behavior and seemed kind of angry. He also had no alibi. They decided to surveil him for a week and a half. They felt pretty good about him when they were surveilling him, thought he might be good for the crime. So they ask him to come in for a polygraph. He agrees, comes in, does the polygraph, and he passes. I feel like only like psychopaths 
can lie and pass a polygraph test? It's not easy. Not a lot of people can do it. And obviously, I think it's important to mention that polygraphs can't be used in court. But it's a really good tool for investigators to use to kind of see if someone's guilty or not. But since he passes, like they have no reason to really keep pursuing him. And now at this point, we're at August of 2004, and it's been one year since artist's murder. That's so sad for the family. It's such a long time with no answers. And for whoever's living in that immediate neighborhood, I'm sure, like, I wouldn't want to go out on my bike. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't want to walk any paths near my neighborhood. Also, this was in broad daylight. Exactly. I think that's why this case had such an impact on the city because it did go a couple years without being solved. Now I'm spoiling it. We we do get a, a solved case for this week, but it just went so long in the terror of knowing there's a straight a complete stranger out there who could strike at any moment, who strikes at random. Right. It's not like we even have answers at this point in the case on like why this happened. Anyone really could feel super vulnerable. Yeah, and hundreds Hundreds of people are on these paths every day and who's to say that this person is sticking to the path right if he could do this lock your freaking doors man like that's i mean yeah that for sure rattles an entire city at this point investigators have another suspect his name is Christopher Myers. This man met a lot of their criterias, but he had an alibi and was with someone at the time of the murder and then had gone to work later that day. And he didn't have any tattoos. So put a pin in that and we'll get back to Chris Myers. Later in August that year, a man lures a woman into his apartment with the promise of cigarettes. He abducts her and attacks her in a laundry room of the building he lives in. Chris Myers is a suspect in the attack. However, at this point law enforcement can't locate him and when they eventually do investigators definitely want to talk to him I think that several different departments are working together at this point they're thinking that a man who does something like murder artist in that way doesn't just strike once and they're probably looking for someone who's going to reoffend. so they're trying to connect anyone who might be on the suspect list and who might also be committing similar crimes to artist murder. They go to his house, and again, they look for tattoos, but he has none. They ask him if he's willing to take a polygraph test, and he agrees. But when the day comes that his test is scheduled for, he never shows up. Chris worked at a restaurant in the buy word market, which I wrote, Stop. oh my god, no, 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 because this is our stomping ground. Like, this is where we went to school near the buy word market. This is where we go out on the weekends. And this just freaked me out when I read it. Full body chills. I'm not reading it. Where, where did you work? I don't know if where. Oh. I just my god. Restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what cactus? <laughs> Not that we have been there in a very no, long time. And this but... was before we were legal, but... True. <laughs> Nevertheless, it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's extra creepy. And I think everyone knows this when it's your hometown, when you've been around those paths, when you've, you know, frequented the bars in that area. And this type of person, I mean, they're, they could be anywhere. They could be anywhere. And this was someone's probably bartender. Ugh, gross. Freaks me out. Like, just imagine tipping someone like this, you know? Oh. Like, I would never want to give someone like that my money. Are you kidding? You never know. And it's so creepy to me that he probably had access to so many women. And interesting that he kind of chose to 
go about things a certain way because in the market there's a ton of bars the nightlife is there mm. i feel like he you know he probably had many opportunities and probably thought about it many times to attack someone like after work on his way home or i don't know but okay, i need creepy. to know what happens to her she okay who uh, <laughs> i'm not, uh, I'm not uh, talking about someone but a man lures a woman into his apartment with a promise oh, that was it that was it he just attacks her and then Chris Myers is a suspect okay. in the attack. Okay, so there's nothing more to that. No. So all that to say, they double check his alibi just to make sure. So like I said, he had said that he was with someone and then had gone to work after this. So it seemed pretty airtight at the time. But when the investigators do a trial run, so they try to cover the same amount of ground he would have covered on his bike. And then they, you know kind of play out like if he would have gone home and then gone to work or whatever the scenario was and they have a lot of spare time on their hands so they think you know the alibi sure but he had more than enough time to commit the crime and still go to work the ghost what you're saying imagine that was your bartender or your server that night disgusting you really never know trust no one <laughs> i just can't i just this is just another case that just shows that people could do these disgusting i mean if it's him we'll follow up but they could do these disgusting things and then just go to work okay I, yeah we'll never get it and it's a good thing that we don't get it yes fair enough good point in late April of 2005, a woman is on her way home from Ottawa to Hull. So I kind of set it up earlier that he could have done something after a night of work or something. Like, this is not uncommon for people to either come to Ottawa for a night out or go to Hull for a night out. So, I mean, I don't know if he was working that night, but this is a different attempt than the other ones have been. The woman gets attacked by a man, but she manages to fight him off. But he takes her purse. So at first... This is classified as a robbery and not necessarily, I mean, it was a physical assault, obviously, but it's, you know, it's more put in the category of a robbery. In early May of 2005, in North Bay, Ontario, which is about a four-hour drive from Ottawa, a woman is walking home and she's approached by a man. The man asks her for directions and then he grabs her and drags her into the nearby bushes. He begins to attack her. She again fights back and a neighbor overhears what's going on. The neighbor leaves his house and goes to try to intervene and the man runs away. Like a dumb loser, the perpetrator leaves his phone at the scene. Yes, good. So glad you're a dumb loser because first of all, now that I'm going to tell criminals how to criminal, but do not bring your phone when you're going to, like, like this is just, you were, you're done, like, you're it's done. Time, for you, you're done, time for you to get caught. Police find the phone, and they trace it back to a woman in Ottawa. This woman has a son whose name <gasps> is Chris Myers. Yeah, Ottawa police officers drive all the way up to North Bay and question him. They try to convince him to come back to Ottawa and take a polygraph test. And to try to convince him, they're basically like, you know, this will just rule you out once and for all. Because at this point, he's been questioned about Ardith a couple different times. He's just like, let's just end this. Let's rule you out. And, you know, you can move on with your life and you can probably get charged for some of these attacks. But we'll rule you out in a murder case. Right. During their investigation of Chris, they speak to one of his ex-girlfriends. This girl tells them that he was physically aggressive with her. He was a biker as well, and she tells them that he did go to school in Plantagenet. Yeah, my god. It all comes this, together. I know, and this next part is the strangest thing to me. She also tells investigators that Chris loves fake tattoos. What? <laughs> right? It looks like stupid little... Yeah, on tattoos when you're a kid 
a grown, he's a big fan. A grown ass man. Like grow up and get some ink if you look at that much. Like you're telling me that this man is holding the tattoo paper on his arm with a with warm, warm dishcloth, and he's watching the clock, like counting down thirty seconds to wait until his tattoo's ready. Like no, that literally so gives embarrassing. Me, that literally gives me flashbacks to being like five. Like now we go to the tattoo shop because we're grown, oh or we God. don't, but we don't stick them on our bodies. Like. Wow. Oh, I love how embarrassing this is for him. It just, it's just not <laughs> cute. And I'm really glad this girl is no longer dating him. Please don't date a man who sticks fake tattoos on <laughs> his arms. Should that be one of our terrible rules? Yes. If he, yeah, it's a red flag if he has uh, fake tattoos. Yeah, if he's asking you to hold the uh, warm, moist towelette over his tattoo while it, you know, transfers from paper to skin, no. <laughs> Chris does actually take the polygraph, and no surprise here, but he fails. But there's no physical evidence against him. It's all circumstantial. I mean, other than the polygraph, we all know that that can't be used for anything other than just everyone else knowing that he's guilty. There's nothing officially putting him at the scene. You know, like I said, no physical evidence. Unless he confesses. He's a free man. That's absolutely disgusting, though. Because, like, where are you going to find evidence at this point in time? It's hard because you don't want to convict someone that didn't do it. But at the same time, they're pretty sure that he did this. And Mm -hmm. if he didn't, he's been attacking other women, too. And Mm -hmm. he's building up to something bigger. Not that he should be charged for this, but... Like, the right person should be caught. And I imagine how frustrating it must be for investigators. This person, this garbage person, and you just need them to confess. But obviously, this man knows if he confesses, he's done for it. So what's it going to take? In the Murder, She Wrote episode, there's a video of Chris's interrogation, his questioning by investigators. And... He's actually questioned by an OPP officer named Martin Graham. In the interview, Chris is just very chill and he's kind of like, you got nothing on me, you got nothing on me, which, I mean, at this point he's right, right? (laughs) And at first, Martin Graham kind of goes in kind of hot, trying to maybe bully him or intimidate him a little bit into confessing. And he kind of sees that this isn't working. So, you know, he kind of switches his tactic a little bit and begins to try and befriend Chris. And eventually, Chris kind of breaks a little bit. And once there's that one crack, like, you should watch this, especially because I feel like interviewing and videos what got you those. into it. Yes. We'll put the unfortunate link <laughs> for the episode in the show notes so that you guys can watch it. Um, just know that it's not top quality and it's a bit muffled. But it is super interesting to watch and then finally chris just admits to having met her that day but just give him that just give investigators that much and they're coming at you hot like absolutely that's like one little crumb that's gonna lead to the whole donut and eventually he pretty much gives it all up even showing the interrogator how he interacted with her what happened next it's pretty impressive to watch this video wow i need to go watch that in october of 2005 Chris Myers is charged with first-degree murder. The following is from the CBC article mentioned above. Chris Myers, 25, of Ottawa, has been charged with one count of murder following the death of Ardith Wood, said police chief Vince Bevan, who described the man as a transient. Myers has also been charged with four counts of sexual assault related to other attacks between July 2003 and December 2004. Myers was picked up May 14th in North Bay, Ontario on a sexual assault charge and local police later recognized his Ottawa police profile. So at the time of the trial, Chris Myers is 27 years old. 
he enters a plea of guilty. His lawyers had reached a deal with the Crown, and this following is from a CBC article. As part of the deal, he will be sentenced to life in prison with eligibility for parole in 10 years, the soonest possible for a second-degree murder conviction. He served two years while awaiting trial, so he could be released as soon as eight years from now. Myers had been scheduled to be tried for first-degree murder in a couple of weeks after a string of pre-trial motions. Myers also pleaded guilty Monday to charges of robbery and sexual assault that took place in the Ottawa and North Bay areas. During the hearing, an agreed statement of facts was read, including Myers' admission that he drowned Ardith Wood and committed a string of sex crimes against other women. Wood's entire family attended the hearing, including her mother, father, brothers, their spouses, and her uncles. Some members of the family flew in from far away. Her mother, Catherine Wood, read an emotional statement about the impact that the death has had on the family. She said her greatest joy was bringing Ardeth home as a baby from the hospital, and her greatest sorrow was putting her 27-year-old daughter's body in a grave. Not trusting his voice, Ardeth's father, Brendan Wood, relied on the Crown to read his thoughts about the blackness that has descended on his family since his daughter's body was found more than four years ago. Afterward, the Woods spoke to reporters outside the courtroom. It's a gap in our life, Catherine Wood said. Our beautiful daughter is dead. She would have contributed so much to society. She expressed empathy for her daughter's killer, who was described in court as a man who was developmentally delayed, passed part of his difficult childhood in different foster homes, and has been diagnosed with psychological problems. The following is from an Ottawa Sun article mentioned above that was published in 2020. The man who killed Ardith Wood has been denied parole and remains a high risk to reoffend, according to parole board documents obtained by this newspaper. On August 5th, one day shy of the 17th anniversary of the day he killed Wood. Myers was denied both full and day parole by the Parole Board of Canada. The hearing was closed to all outside observers because of the pandemic. Myers himself made no written representation to the board and in his application for parole wrote that he didn't feel like he deserved it. While incarcerated, Myers has been charged with assault and uttering threats after an altercation with another offender. His personal file includes 14 security incidents. Myers was originally housed in a maximum security facility, then transferred in 2017 to a medium security facility. In 2018, he was released into that institution's general population. The documents do not say at which institution Myers remains incarcerated. He has since moved into a house where he had been learning to cook do chores, and live with others, and has been employed at the prison as a cleaner. Myers has completed various sex offender programming, which found that his need for power and control over his victims contributed towards his sexual offending. A psychological assessment from March 2020 found that Myers is at a high range of risk to commit violent crimes and sex crimes. He has yet to have monitored leave or unescorted leave from the institution. While he has expressed a desire to work in construction or as a caregiver, The parole board told him that working as a caregiver, given his criminal record, is not viable. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) What do you mean you want to be a caregiver? First of all, you're in prison. (laughs) That makes no sense. Also, I'd like to see, like, the difference between, like, this and the Abby Drover case we're talking about where the man who abducted her and did multiple horrible things to her, he was allowed to have unescorted leave from the institution where he was held, and I'm really glad. Look like they're doing more nowadays to kind of figure out well first of all 
the programming I thought was interesting. And that's why we inserted these two quotes because I felt like everything here was super interesting and just very relevant to this case and to kind of get some more background info about how the system works. Yeah, I also feel like completely an assumption, but I feel like he knows he has issues versus the Abby Drover case. I feel like the man just blamed it on alcohol and, and didn't take any like accountability. Right. I feel right. like Myers realizes what he did is wrong. Right. You know what but I mean? But then I also feel like the system is holding him more accountable versus yes. the Abby yeah, Drover yeah. case where they 100%. were just like, well, obviously it wasn't that big of a deal. Here you go. You can take a, a mm-hmm. you know, long leave from prison unescorted and be around children, right? Yeah. We <laughs> will never forget that. Mm-mm. It's just it's burnt in the back of my brain. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, this is really interesting how they, they're, you know, they're doing sex offender programming, which he's completed, and they've come out with a conclusion. His need for power and control over victims contributed towards the sexual offending, which I think is the background feelings of a lot of people that do certain crimes like this. It's about power power over women especially um especially in this case as well so i anyway anyway very glad he's not allowed prison and very glad that he's not allowed to be a caregiver and extremely glad that artist's family got some form of justice at artist's funeral 600 people attended and over a thousand showed up outside the church to show their support that's really touching i'm yeah, sure the family was so appreciative of that support at the arboretum in ottawa which is basically just a, a large park that has a bit of um kind of a waterfront as well but it's just it's just these big large beautiful trees but there there is a tree that has been dedicated to artist wood and there's a plaque on it oh we should go there this summer we should go there this summer and on the plaque part of it says her death touched the heart of a city i just thought that was really nice and i've i mean we've both been there probably Mm -hmm. many times it's just nice to learn so much stuff that you know through this podcast learn so much stuff that we didn't know and whether it's about the city we grew up in or other cities or other parts of canada i just i'm grateful that we're we're doing this and that You know, we're using some brain space for something that I feel like is very worth it. It's crazy to think that, I mean, we don't remember this actually happening when it did because we were so young, but just thinking that there's a tree dedicated to her in the Arboretum where, you know, I grew up going there all the time and now looking back and seeing that like these things were happening while I was a child and completely oblivious to what could happen in life you know I just find that so eye-opening really this week we will be donating to Ardith Wood Memorial Award this is awarded annually to deserving students proceeding from one year to another in the Department of Philosophy eligible students must be Canadian citizens or permanent residents of Canada and must meet OSAP's Ontario residence requirements recipients must also demonstrate financial need. This fund is made possible by donations from friends, family, and the Ottawa community in memory of Ardith Wood. If you would like to contribute to Ardith Wood Memorial Award, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram slash TikTok bio. Pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram, so please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our social or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us and see you next time.